Hello, and welcome to the Comic Lyra podcast, the podcast that does deep dives into the best of comic books, graphic novels, mangas, and penny dreadfuls. I'm your host, the soon-to-be-known-as Comic Stan, and with me as always is my idealistic co-host, it's Jamie. Idealistic? Would you say you're not? I'm a f- No, I'm the most jaded, pessimistic motherfucker going. Uh, idealistic about like things in your own life maybe i refer us back to the conversation we had about ai where i was just like the world's going to end ryan i say for the listeners it's the one conversation about AI we've had on the podcast maybe two in the, <laughs> between us it's the hundredth conversation about ai yeah like every time something happens i'm like look ryan the apocalypse is coming and i don't know if i've mentioned this in person like you know off off air yeah or not but for someone who i don't think could be replaced by ai you're more scared of it than people i know who easily <laughs> could be replaced by it yeah no i'm yeah I'm, I'm fairly human and i do fairly human work you do you human work with other humans so until yeah. they actually get the full west world like <laughs> put a, a, yeah, a yeah. robot that looks like a person thing and even then they're still going to have that uncanny valley of like they pause and stare at you for a second too long like i did at the intro after i said hello oh yeah but, every time but they're going to do that in between sentences i'm go, still getting used, off i'm still getting used to the new slow down ryan for the intro it's a little more slow down, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I, I did experiment with like speeding up the entire podcast for one point. I fucking hated it. Yeah. So for reference, every week Ryan does an edit and he sends me an unlisted version of it that I can then have a little listen to and just see if I have any notes. And I had listened to 25 seconds of it and I messaged Ryan saying, did you speed this fucking thing up? And he was like, yeah, by 0.1, I wanted to see if you noticed. And I was yeah. like, I did notice instantly and I hate it. I think for me, it's, <laughs> I view, so I edit in 1.5. Yeah, of course you do. And when I then listen to a normal speed, because I am I get used to, I feel myself getting used to 1.5. So when I first started, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like, hello, welcome back to the Comic Lever podcast. And then when I then go back to it, then your brain makes it go normal yeah there's a thing where if you wear about when you wear glasses that turn everything upside down yeah. your brain gets used to it and, and then suddenly it flips everything and then if you suddenly take off the glasses your normal sight is upside down i think my brain does that with the 1.5 speed and then when i then turn it off for the final product i then listen to that normal speed i go god we're slow you're but a broken human being well man. i'm like i'm <laughs> I'm like the Flash, who's like, everyone's moving too slowly <laughs> oh, around don't, me. don't, because that's next time, and I don't little, want to. Little hint for next week. <laughs> <laughs> so what are we talking about this week, Ryan? So this week, this is definitely getting into the give Jamie the good titles to do up until <laughs> the mandatory superhero superhero. This was talk. a little treat for me, wasn't it? Yes, which, and we'll get into a little bit I liked in it. But basically, we are doing the image uh limited series eight billion genies which was a top seller of uh trade paperbacks so i thought a great one to dive into so it was very popular and i well you'll hear just what we thought about it when oh, we get into i coming up later <laughs> i do well in like a in five After minutes this break <laughs> god imagine if we had advertisers no well one day um i mean i'll just advertise things in the room i'm just like this show is brought to you by the candle in the corner there that i think is might be vanilla or something yes yeah, french vanilla baby i i got that from the color i'm <laughs> some kind of savant candle identifier there's also one in a brew dog bottle that's quite cool it's does it smell of brew dog 
No. What? Do you want stale you want, IPA in fucking regret? Do you want your flat to smell of beer? <laughs> <laughs> I could do that without the candle. <laughs> if I put my mind to it. So, eight billion genies. Uh, limited release from Image Comics, which. I will bring up the old... I had to go to the Image website because this is one of those newish ones that wasn't on Wikipedia yet. But, you know, maybe it will be soon. Maybe someone will make an edit for it and maybe they'll credit us and that's how we get known... We've said this. ...by being credited for Wikipedia entries. <laughs> Wikipedia yeah, influences. That's the foolproof plan <laughs> to becoming the next Joe Rogan podcast. It's the ultimate goal, isn't it? Exactly. So, 8 Billion Genies, uh, written by Charles Sewell, or Sule, I'm not sure, 100% on the pronunciation. I'm not going to dive in on that one. And art by Ryan Brown, um, both names that I've never heard yep. before, um, or at least not known well enough, um, and the premise of which, do you want me to read the proper blurb, or? Go on, do the blurb. Bear, or say, do I read the blurb? Or do you try and tell us, recommend us the story? No, without... read the blurb, read the blurb. Right. I'm not feeling it today. I'm not yes. ready for it. I'll give you one pass, but you definitely have to do it on The Flash next week. Oh, for fuck's sake. Exactly. Yeah, it's fine. Eat your vegetables and then... <laughs> <laughs> this is passing your vegetables this week, but you have to eat, you have to eat them next I'm week. I'm getting dessert for dinner today. Next yes. week I eat my... Yeah, okay. Because I'm I'll a eat... bad parent. I'll eat my fucking broccoli. That's But the, but it's fun dessert. It's cereal for dinner tonight. That's what we're doing. Oh, so, do you know what? I'm whenever. divorced to dad who's trying to make <laughs> it seem fun while he's while you're around his house. Whenever I'm ill, that's all I can face. And so, like, I will be, like, riddled. I, I, had, I had fucking COVID, like, really badly. And the only thing I could face was chocolate Wheaties. Um, chocolate Shreddies. Mm. And so for, like, two days, I subsisted entirely off Cocoa Shreddies and oat milk. It was fucking awful. Uh, hot take, which I don't know if it's going to be too hot for the mics here, but uh, cereal tastes better in the evening Does. it's weird isn't it you know what it is and i i could do a whole thing about intermittent fasting but eating in the morning <laughs> it's just not right it's, gonna, it doesn't feel right i'm gonna be honest with you it's i always have cereal in the house it's very rare i eat cereal for breakfast cereal is dessert is a great i mean chocolate cereal is is oh. a dessert that should not be anything but a dessert yeah and yet they marked it as like is your child not paying attention to school <laughs> feed them chocolate in the morning <laughs> yeah, absolutely yeah and i ate that shit growing up every fucking morning i thought you were about to do it and look at me i turned out fine like <laughs> don't know 20 about stone <laughs> with chest pains like <laughs> <laughs> call the ambulance <laughs> Right, so we've that's one tangent down. Uh, ten more to go. Um, the blurb of what we're reading yep, is: do it. Eight billion genies. If you had one wish, what would you wish for? Now, what if everyone else Ryan, had what? Do you want me to do in a voice? Just because, <laughs> just because I didn't have to eat my vegetables this week, right? Surely, when you do the blurb, yeah, no, it's Alan Moore. Like, I want Alan Moore. I'm sorry, I just want Alan Moore. I need to watch more Alan Moore like interviews. It's funnier. That your Alan Moore isn't anywhere near Alan Moore. Like your Will Smith from Suicide Squad. <laughs> it makes me think that you saw like the XXX parody of Suicide Squad and it was some guy with no teeth was playing Will Smith. I've not seen Suicide Squad. Okay. <laughs> like, you just saw the trailer. I don't even know that I've seen the trailer. I know that line. I know uh, that one line from the film. I know nothing else about it. 
Okay. Well, you're spot on. It's exactly how he sounds. <laughs> it's exactly how he sounds in the film. Don't spoil it for me. All right. So here's Alan Moore. It, it, maybe it'll help with this talking about like magic and he is a wizard. So maybe that, wizard. that crossover, might, that transference of skills might help. I love that in the way we talk about Alan Moore, you've gone from old curmudgeon who thinks he's a wizard to he's a wizard. He, he basically is a wizard. I mean, who are we Who are we to tell him he isn't? Like, Fucking A. What authority do we have to who say no? Who is anybody to tell Alan Moore any, anything? Yeah. Have you written Killing Joke? Exactly. Fucking as if he wrote Killing Joke. The only it's people wild. who could criticise Alan Moore are Brian K. Vaughan, Robert Kirkman, technically Brian Michael Bendis, I guess. No, I don't even think it's other comic book writers. I think there are three men who could say something to Alan Moore and two of them are dead. Right. Uh, Neil Gaiman. Okay. Terry Pratchett. Yeah, I was going to guess that one. And the bloke who wrote Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Tolkien, J.R.R. Tolkien. Tolkien. Yes. They're that, the only people who can say shit to more. And you know what? I actually, a little spoiler for later, I might start to include Charles Sewell or Sule into that conversation. Well, fucking we'll, A. We'll get into that. So, Go on, give us your best Alan a, Moore. Sorry, I'm not going to interrupt anymore. I'm a, being quiet. A billion genies. If you had one wish, what would you wish for? <laughs> now, what if everyone else had one wish too? That's 8 Billion Genies, the new eight-issue series from Charles Soule and Brian Brown. At exactly the same moment, everyone on Earth gets a genie and one wish. All hell breaks loose. <laughs> in a very entertaining way. And that's just the beginning. Buckle in for the wildest ride of the year. I gave up towards the end. Ryan, that was beautiful. I know. That's I know. everything I wanted it to be. Fantastic. As long as you're pleased... Like the millions of listeners we have, I like. I don't care what they think. Just, I'm just chuffed. you, exactly. But that is the basic premise. We are. It's a world in which, I think, starting from the premise alone, that is literally almost like just the first issue is the premise, and then your your ball rolling. It's beyond the premise after that, if that makes sense. Well, are we, we going to just jump in? Is I that... so I would like to propose yep. that we do a somewhat chronological because it's only eight issues see now you asked me this before we started recording yep. and what you've done now is you've asked me live so that i have to either say yes or no to it well i think it no, actually... i agree with you i think i think it is best dealt with semi-chronologically i'll put it this way if we do just a little bit of a talking about the comic in general without the specific spoilers mm. Then when we do the chronological one, if we if you do want to refer back and forth, yeah, then it will it, that will be in the the post watershed spoiler zone. <laughs> Should we so, cut this out and then we just start? Nah, nah. <laughs> I've never cut anything out of this podcast except uh, for anything that I say. Except for most of ninety percent of your stuff, obviously. Yeah, we're so, actually here for six hours, and most of it is me talking. Yeah, I mean, but who's the star though? You know, so <laughs> obviously Alan Moore. I mean, he's the, he's the <laughs> spiritual star of the show. It might as well just be, we might as well just call it the Alan Moore podcast and we just review Alan Moore all the time. But not his work. No, just, just him. what he says in interviews. <laughs> I wasn't too fond of that bit when he called superhero fans man children. Like, I, took that, I took that personally, if I'm being perfectly honest. <laughs> did he say that? He, he did, but so there's a thing, all right, not to go too much tangent, there's a thing that he, he constantly says shit to try and almost to deter people from buying his stuff because <laughs> the problem is if enough of them read it they're going to make an adaptation no even even more insidious he doesn't get anything from them now so, so he's he, just like fuck it so imagine if someone stole your work 
and they were making money for every time they bought it. So say you wrote a book, right? Yeah. And then only they got money for it if 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 it's ever bought. Yeah, or whatever. I get it. You would you could if you were um as petty as some might describe it, you would then say, Don't buy that book, it's shit. Buy my new one instead. Yeah, or so yeah, exactly. Something like that. So I think that's why he does it. But he goes kind of more of a roundabout way. So rather than criticizing his own work, he goes, he calls adults who like super <laughs> superheroes, um like Man children? man children or man babies or something like that but then the point is that people are like oh i was gonna buy and read watchmen but now i won't bother and yeah. he's like that's what i did all along that's the theory anyway i can respect that yeah i i, I mean, like we we respect everything that alan Moore does like yeah he's magnificent <laughs> he's he's truly truly a a a character i was gonna say but yeah. that, that's a bit funny he's what's the word that's like iconic but not Mm. I know what you mean. I mean, he's one of those that I think if he'd been writing in any other medium, he would have been incredibly famous. Like, yeah. he's just not famous enough that we've been able to just have him as a joke on the podcast because it's only only other nerds like us know who Alan Moore is, really. I think, and if it was like, even in the comics realm, if the big two had treated him better, I think they could have been like, hey, do you want to write Batman for like a year? You know, like, just like, yeah. do you want to our biggest stuff do whatever you want because everything he writes is like revered like there's mm. nothing of his people are like well that was shit like yeah. regardless of what people think of him so if they had just treated him better and paid him the money that he was owed and everything else they could have kept him on to do wacky stuff they could have given him just the like absolute b to z lister superheroes but like, do whatever you want with them so we'll yeah. protect the the main ones but you do whatever you want with these little ones and then you get another swamp thing which is like a, a critically acclaimed run you just of a get so much more alan moore like yeah. you just flood the gates with alan moore stuff exactly and i think if that was the case he'd be way more famous than yeah. he is now but also you'd have to convince him of it because i don't think he was that the reason most of his work he was is, that into it well it's all different stuff isn't it like yeah. he only did a bit of super stuff occasionally but um right enough about alan moore for now we'll pick that player obviously obviously but so the thing with this comic is as i said the premise it gets away from it very quickly so I think in this non-spoiler part, I think there's a lot to talk about in just what type of comic is and what kind of things it does without getting into a specific story. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that I found most fascinating about it was the narrative device of each issue being set over an order of magnitude time more than the last one. Yeah. So the first issue set over eight seconds. The next one's eight hours, or is it eight minutes, eight hours? I think so. Yeah. Uh, if it's, so, it's eight issues. So I would counting on my hands like a child. Go eight seconds, eight minutes, eight days, eight weeks, eight months, eight years, eight decades, eight centuries. So yeah. that's yeah how it goes. No. So it was eight minutes. Yeah. Minutes, that's hours, days, years decades centuries was seven and then i think the last one was centuries i think but what i found fascinating about that is that it gave us this story that grew in scope every single issue yes and so by the end of it we were seeing great sweeping swathes of story but because they'd done such a good job in establishing all these characters and their motives early on and they re they gave us such potent character development the whole way through mm that by the eighth issue, when I was seeing a couple hundred years go by at a time for these characters, I was like, yeah, it makes sense that they'd have done that in that time. 
Like, I don't need to see all that because I, I know what they did and that was good enough for me. Yeah. I think the premise itself, again, it, it lends itself to showing time increments because of the dra- from the first second, the drastic changes to the entire world and the reality of the story. So by being, it's one of the few comics that could be like, hey, we just cover the first eight seconds in this first issue. And the reason is it's the first eight seconds off if everyone in the world could make a wish. It was like, bat crap crazy. It is crazy. And also the first issue does do a bit a bit of time before the wishes. Mm. So you've got this start of like, here's some setting up some characters and then it's like chaos for eight seconds that immediately happens. Well, we see, we basically see... You know what? I might have actually got... I've corrected myself and you might be right. I think... The first issue is nothing, and then the second issue is eight seconds, because at the end of the first issue is when the genies appear, yeah. and then issue two is the first eight seconds. The only reason I remember that, I think, is at the end of the first one, they go, tune in next week to see the first eight seconds of this story. Um, so I think it must go, it must miss out one of the things we've done, like either weeks or days it's or something. set up eight seconds, Yep. eight minutes, Yep. eight hours, Yep. eight days. Yep eight decades i think months might be in there yeah i think because i said weeks and months i think go months i could check this but where's the fun in that yeah uh basically it's an order of magnitude every issue yes, is what and, we're getting at and, and that's a really brilliant narrative device and so good in, smartly enough it's also eight based on the eight billion population of the people of the world who are getting genies which we'll come into it later again um the art is great it's an art style that i thought if it did just stick to like here are normal people talking uh like a like a why the last man or something like it's just people interacting this art style would be for me enough to be like this is interesting and i i'm interested by what i'm seeing on the page as soon as it introduces the genies they the look on them is so good and you sent me this a couple months ago in mm. terms of you sent me a big list of stuff that you wanted to chat about. And so I remember my first impression seeing the cover and then going to like last night when I actually started reading it, I was really surprised by the way the genies looked. Mm. Um, I was expecting, in my head, I was expecting Aladdin. Like, Yeah. Um, I was expecting something with a little bit more of an anthropomorphized form. And so when the genies popped up, I felt a bit let down by them. I was like, they don't, they don't look great. But as you get to know them through the issues and you see that they have these personalities and they all, you know, once you see the genies with their people, they look a bit like their people and they take on some of their character attributes. Mm. And like you can identify who is whose genie. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and there's a big story beat later on mm. where I was like, oh, that's not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think they did a really great job. The art is stunning. The I mean, art is gorgeous. It's, it's, it, it really amazes me when you get, as I said, the first issue, everything's normal. And you look at the art and you go, all right, it's good. Like, I like the look of people and it's interesting and it draws me in. As soon as it starts doing the fantastical stuff, oh. you go, first of all, you go, oh my God. Like, there's a big two-page spread of the first, like, eight seconds. Yeah. Everyone in the world has wishes they've made them and it's just immediately looks out and it's insanity and it makes me think how many artists do you see who do just normal you know people talking in a bar what are they what could they achieve what if they're they given of? this story or something yeah. like this to do amazing stuff is it common or is this particular artist ryan brown 
is he just amazing? Because the thing that caught me about that panel, that panel you're talking about, is that there were things that wouldn't normally coexist and things that have quite defined art styles. So there was a lot of like mech shit going on. Mm. A lot of like, and because again, the idea was that this was our world, but people had wishes. A lot of the stuff was quite clearly based on fiction. Yeah. I... And so the superheroes looked very superhero-y, mm. but then there was dragons and castles that, you know, you'd expect to be in that kind of more stripped back, early fantasy illustrations in Tolkien's books kind of style and it was there presented in this like beautiful spread playing playing against off all the like very techie um, mechanical looking stuff and it just looked stunning yeah like I, I, I there was quite a few times reading this and this is like the highest praise I think I can give a comic book where I stopped to just zoom in on a panel and yeah. look at it yeah, I mean, the highest compliment to the art specifically, I would yeah. say. Yeah. And I'm very, I'd be fascinated to know how much of an influence the writing was on the art. So, mm. like, was was the writer, was he like, here's what, everything you need to put in this spread, have, have fun with it. Was he like, this is how it specifically needs to look? Did he reference each part? Or was it literally just here's the world here's some jet like vague ideas like the world hasn't draw ended. something yeah just draw what you want like i think that kind of interaction and again we talk about this a lot of time like w- how much of a crossover between like panel layout specific panel layout like page layout and specific panels you know we we never really know until you actually talk to them or unless you read this, sometimes they put stuff at the end of yeah, comics. I don't I think, love that. I don't think they've done it for this one, which is a shame because this is the one I'd be like, mm. who who decided what? Like, you've just got to kind of put it down to like, these two men have made an amazing comic and just hope they work together again in, someday. I'm definitely going to keep an eye out for both of them on future things. Yeah. And it's one of those things that like, um, we keep talking about Brian K. Vaughan today. And it kind of makes sense because this has a similar vibe to Why the Last Man in some regards. Um, He worked with different artists on Why and Saga, didn't he? Yes. But you look at the difference in scope of those two books, he would have needed different artists for it. Yeah. And I think style definitely influences um, the story. You would, if you like, I mean, we did Pride of Baghdad last week. Oh, that that needed to be someone to make who was very good at picturesque wildlife especially humanizing and putting human emotion on animal faces that's very specific and i think same with here you want someone who could do like a a, a, one of these like big page spreads i would put in a frame and hang up on a wall like just as a random no context like here's a crazy world with all crazy stuff going on in it yeah so that's a very again i think a very specific try as well whereas then something like why the last man you want someone who could who's a bit more of a grounded style a bit more like mm. human in like again i keep using human interaction but just like human drama so you, it's a bit it's a bit more the art style's a bit more gritty and dry and i remember why the last man being quite earth toned yes definitely, like yeah. lots of greens and browns whereas this did you notice there was a blue thing happening here everything was very blue well, the genies had a lot of blue and purple, which is very yeah. like cosmic style, exactly like, a vibe. But it fed into the overall art style. Whenever you get an exterior, everything was very blue, everything was very bright, and I think that made it pop and it made mm. it feel kind of modern and cartoony. But again, the way that they dealt with the human character models was really grounded. Yeah, it looked. I can't. I, I'm struggling to articulate it because it just looks great. Yeah, and I think we're we're. I mean, 
pat ourselves on the back, I think we are ones who will typically dive into story a lot. Yeah. So I, I think it's important that we are taking this time to be like, this is how good the art is yeah, and how, how much so is contributed. Because we, we sometimes struggle to remember that if we're focusing on the story and stuff. Mm. And modern comics, whole, you know, the whole thing with Marvel and DC is a lot of their art is passable with occasional interesting mm. or occasional good bits like meet the scrolls like mostly kind of standard but then you had the transitioning thing and that was like yeah. oh look that's an interesting part whereas and i think this is the thing that i'm noticing from these uh limited run books mm. is that maybe it's because they're not worried about having to replicate it over multiple years and the idea of maybe if you've just got this one artist who does this one thing really well and they go off and get another job suddenly your series that's running for a few years at a time is left without its artist, right? Yeah, yeah. Whereas this guy committed to eight issues, and so it's like, this can be your passion project, this can be you. Mm. Um, And so, you know, these limited runs tend to have, not better art, because art's so subjective, but... More of a, f- a focused style, or a focused yeah, idea. Yeah, that's it. That's what, yeah, yeah. The, do you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah of course. There, there's this really kind of focused, coherent um, feel running through all the art and all the panels. Mm. And it just makes for such a better reading experience, as far as I'm concerned. Mm. And it, funny you say about the limited series and everything. I thought what was amazing about this which could feed into maybe other stuff later is the world building for a world of chaos. Yeah. They really built a world which at any point could be anything. Like you could go from one place to another and it could be the, anything that you could possibly imagine because of the wishes. But at the same time, there was also a structure because of the story and because of the characters. It felt like a world to explore. He, yeah, it did. I agree with you. He, they also did a really good job of giving the genies more control than the 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 genies had this interesting level of control over the way the wishes worked. Yes, and it wasn't all monkey paw stuff. Well, yeah, but and there's an interesting element of that which they explicitly kind of say they explore, so, don't they? I think we can get into the rules of the the wishing without. Yeah. There is later revelation stuff, which is the why. But I think we can get into the how, the rules as they so, are. So the big rule that I took away from it is that they would big wishes that affected everyone in humanity, unless they were incredibly specifically worded the genies would take liberty with them and cancel them out against each other. Yes. And the genies would also take into account the intent of your wish. And that would define whether or not they monkey pawed you. <laughs> yeah. I think if, if you were, if it was a selfless wish, they would just try and get it as much as you want it. If it was a bit more of a selfish or uh, a ill intended wish, yeah. they might monkey a poor a bit where you go, well, you technically got you want what you wanted, but also your face has fallen off or something like that. And there was that. none of that explicitly, but there was just pe- wish, people's wishes not functioning the way they wanted. Mm. The other thing that I noticed, and this was made explicit right at the end of the last issue, is that if you didn't burn your wish really early on and you spent a bit of time with your genie, your genie would get to know you. Yeah, yeah. And and there's this, you know, there's this idea in communication that the long the longer the length of service with another person um informs how well you can communicate with each other. Mm-hmm. If you make an effort to communicate well, there's this famous story about a writer and his um publisher. 
uh, he wanted to know how his new book was doing. And he'd been working with this publisher his entire life. So he sent him a question mark on a piece of paper. He sent him a letter with a question mark on it. And he got back a letter with an exclamation mark. And they both knew what that meant. So the, the publisher knew that the question mark was him saying, how has my new novel done? And the exclamation mark was, yeah, we've sold a lot of them. Mm. And because they had that, that depth of experience together, they had this understanding. And so once we get out of that initial, like, people who, again, they make it quite explicit in the book, people who have only ever wanted one thing, burnt their wish really quickly because they knew yeah. what they wanted. People who didn't have that spent a bit more time sitting on their wish. And once they did wish, because they'd spent that time with their genie and their genie knew them and understood them, they the genie kind of understood what they meant by their words better. Yes. And, and that, their intent as well. And I thought that was fucking fascinating. I thought that was mm. such a clever mechanic because often, you know, genies and wishes is a well-worn trope, isn't it? Yeah. And often I think the... um the caveat or the technicality that it comes down to is the specific verbiage you use. Yeah. And there's a little bit of that here, isn't there? Yeah. But also the idea that once the genie knows you, they can read further into your words and understand them better. And it's not that the genie's trying to catch you out. It's that they're trying to give you the wish you asked for. And if they don't know you and they have no context, they kind of have to go on the specific verbiage you use. And I just Mm. thought that was such an interesting idea and such a great way of handling some of the kind of inherent problems in the genie wish format yeah and i uh, this is what i meant by the kind of world building the yeah sh- the structure wherever you go mm. so no matter how fantastical and chaotic the rest of the world is this wish structure it affects and it's in every part of the story regardless and that's what made me feel like i want to explore this world i want it it shows characters dealing with that in all different ways and it to a point where i think credit to the story I think it's so smartly written, and I imagine it was the way it was written was with a wall covered in post-it notes and string going to yeah, each yeah, part. Yeah, yeah. You had to proper build it yeah. every part on a like intangible rule set. Like it's incredible, like to me. Yeah. Um, I like that the genies they kind of give very early on the the reasoning for why they're being. It's not difficult, but why they're being creative with the wishes. They say explicitly they they want as many people to get their wishes as possible. Yeah. So if and I thought going into this blind, I thought one of the things was surely someone's just going to wish for the end of the world. Like there's going to be some psychopath out there. It's like you know what I want the world to end. And they say like those get cancelled out by the ones who like I wish for world peace. Like those two cancel each other out and. But obviously, there's we don't know for sure that there's like an exact amount of the same number of people making those types of wishes. But they have also taken the liberty of being like, look, any of those wishes, we're just not going to do because, you know. And it- again, there's some of that that's expositional. Mm. But we see that demonstrated in a really fun way in the eight minutes ep- issue. Is that with the, I think we can go into this because it's not uh, the American government. Yeah. So I think we see that's a good part. The president has one of his, has his chief of staff, I think it is. Yes, because the president would not waste his own wish. Absolutely. But you've got some, he's got someone under him who's like, I will literally do anything for this country. It's like, yeah. all right, we'll use your wish. And so he wishes that America is the most powerful country. And they get someone to expi- word it explicitly yeah, yeah, yeah. for the next hundred years and that kind of yeah. thing. And then they call North Korea and ask him to get rid of his nukes. And he's like, why would I do that? Send me Denzel Washington. 
And that's when we find out that, of course, somebody in every government other than New Zealand... Except New Zealand. Other than New Zealand. Come on, you Kiwis. Um, has wished for the same thing for their country. And it's like, well, not all of them can be supreme. So none of them are because yeah. all those wishes cancel each other out. Exactly. And again, that could have been, you know, if, if, if we were reading the ones, that would have been purely <laughs> expositional. But it wasn't. It was a story beat. It, they used a story beat to let us into the world. And, yeah. you know, the number one rule of storytelling is show, don't tell. Yeah. The, but you do, even in this, you do, like, I kind of struggle with that whenever I imagine writing stuff. I'm like, but how would I show this when surely a character would tell her? You yeah. do get tell from the genies. And I think this is a good template and a good example of the balance. Yeah. So you can show a lot of stuff just by actions. Some stuff does need a character to tell another character. You have to have some degree of expositional content. But... Any, but the, the, it's making it seem natural. That's, yeah. that's the secret source. And the genies would only give us exposition when a story beat required it. And I thought that was so good. Yes. And yeah, it was very, very well paced at every point. It, it, it ebbed and flowed. It never felt stale or too much too quickly or anything. Yeah. Um, there's a very, what I think, I don't know if you'll agree with this or not, what I, I interpreted, well, just take that stance from the from the from Fuck the get go. Then Fuck you. <laughs> or, or you are the antagonist of the podcast. How am I? Because I'm the protagonist. No. I've degree. I've decided. I'm the lovable rogue that just doesn't want structure. All right, I'll give you that. But lovable rogue is that like the 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 medieval term for like he's just riddled with ADHD. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you know what? I love that you have started using my lexicon on that. Like you've adopted my verbiage. Yeah, it makes sense. That makes me really happy. It gives you an idea of feeling. It's like if I talk about like something in a um a, a thick storytelling review kind of sense. I try and stop myself using the word dripping a lot. Like I said, oh, it's, it's dripping with yeah. ex. Whatever. Existential. Existential dread or whatever. Yeah. Um, the theme, I think, running through this, I, this, this comes into the whole rules. So the reason that they want as many people to have their wishes as possible is what they're trying to do is basically show everyone. They're trying to, the meaning, I think, is desire, human desire, yeah. want and desire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it examines that across the entire story. Yeah. So big reason for that, the genies, there is or from the start a very kind of like, we would like people to glean this from their wishes and actions. So if someone was like, I want the world to end. It's like, no, no, we, we want people to have their wishes because we there's a bigger thing at play, which we get into later. But I think that's a good, it gets across intent of a character for why rules are the way they are why the world didn't just yeah. explode straight away or whatever but yeah i think the world building again you're saying because it's a limited series i would love this to keep going not in a continuation of this story but i would love to see like short runs of s some random bystander in this world different points in it as yeah, well you and, can make and, all different characters and do different stuff and i suppose this is the thing that we can now get into which is that because do we do a spoiler warning no, I think we're there. Like, I All think right. we're there. If uh, one little bit, if you if if you're on the fence, read this comic. Oh, oh, it's so good. If you don't want it spoiled, stop right yeah, now. No, read it or mute. Leave the podcast playing so we still get that. You know that, the stats. <laughs> Ryan, you grubby little creature. Mute it. I just leave want it all the listens. Give me a give me an ad sense. Give me a listen. But 
leave it playing and then remember where we- i'll put time <laughs> i'll put i'll put a time code in for this yeah, yeah, i've started it. doing i've started experimenting with time I've codes noticed. yeah They're fun. um so yeah i'll put a time code in but go out read it come back then join in on the conversation anyway before i was so rudely interrupted which um, time do you, know, do you know who i'm <laughs> quoting there everyone no well no very specifically um but so what's his name first mayor of london ken livingston ken livingston right Ken Livingston was the head of the Greater London Council. Yeah. And then he Thatcher dissolved it. And when they brought in the mayor of London, he was the first mayor of London. And his first speech of mayor of London as mayor of London, he just took the podium and said, before I was so rudely interrupted. And I thought that was so good. So funny. Ken Livingston, man. Underrated, underrated dude. I just love that only you could go from like a fantastical world of wishes being granted to British bureaucracy. Something like, that Ken Livingston said this, in the early noughties. This one funny thing happened once in the <laughs> Chamber of Parliament. Like, <laughs> what, were, what were we talking about? Oh yeah, wishes. <laughs> Genies. Anyway. Yes. Because, because it zooms out by an order of magnitude every issue, mm. and every issue is the same length, but over a much longer period of time, you're starting to see this happen in waves. And and they and they that this becomes really explicit. They revert the story. to ages. And- yeah. And so the first issue really deals with all the people who burnt their wish straight away. First eight minutes, straight in, I'm wishing for something stupid. And we see one of the characters do that. Um there's a band that's turned up to a bar, um, and the it drops. The owner of the bar instantly wishes that nobody in the bar and the bar itself will be affected by any wish that happens outside. And I've got a lot to get into on that, but keep going. And then the two of the members of the band are stood outside the bar when this happens. Mm. They get their genies and one of them instantly wishes that the third member of the band loved her. Yeah. And that obviously doesn't go very well for her because there's a wish that's already counteracting it. Um... But it also kind of showed, I think, that human nature that a lot of people have, which is, I have a thing, I need to do it. Yeah, just a burning desire for something that they can't get in normal life, and now they've just been given this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and it's the top-of-mind thing that they've got. And hers was kind of innocuous, in as much as it didn't hurt a lot of people the way that a lot of people's stupid wishes did. But it was also quite insidious, because it would have taken yeah. away her friend's free will. Yeah, definitely. And and that immediately becomes a plot point. Yes. And it immediately makes you think less of a character, which using the framework of the wishes to build a character development or show a character, not development, but show a character trait yeah. that you wouldn't see in normal life, I thought was so smart. But yeah, so there's those people that make those kind of wishes. And then wrapped up in that first couple of issues was then the people who looked at the situation, realised that the wish they needed to make wasn't for the world they were living in, but this new world. And then we see one of the other protagonists who really cleverly wishes that he had all the tools he needed to keep his family safe. And so he didn't wish for a specific superpower. And what he got was a real sick mech suit. And he was Chinese and couldn't speak English. So suddenly he could speak the native language in the place he was in. And, you know, it showed people who were impulsive but also then people who were impulsive and thoughtful Mm. and they all burnt their wishes and the world just kind of starts to crumble doesn't it yeah really quickly and there's a real i'm fascinated by the logic that went into this story that there are ages so that this is something that's been done before which get into near the end but there's ages that happen they refer to as ages but there's basically like 
periods of time in a world filled with wishes. So the first world is immediate people have done burnt their wishes immediately and they're doing all sorts of crazy shit. So it's just chaos. Then when that kind of dies down, you then have the Heroes. the bit more thoughtful people. So people who have wished themselves superpowers or, you know. And they call it the age of heroes. Yeah. And so what you then find are people who are responding to this new world and trying to fix the immediate problem. And that is when we see, I think probably my one of my favorite characters is Ed. Eddie? Is the son? The son. Yes. Yeah. So this this... 11-year-old kid um, transpires he's got a dead mum. His dad wishes the mum back. And then he wants to protect both of them. And so he finds a really exhaustive list of superpowers, shows his genie on his phone, and suddenly he is a hench superhero. Mm. And he spends the next sort of good few issues, so the next sort of 10 to 20 years, farting about being a superhero in the age of heroes, trying to undo the mess that everybody's made. And he's trying to find somewhere safe for his parents, which is why he got such a good superhero wish is because the genie was like, I can tell you're doing this with the kindest of intentions for your loved ones. So I'm going to give you just the full amazing superhero, all the powers, like everything you want. Like I'm going to do it exactly as you want in your head. Um, Whereas other people, they wished very early and they became like vampires or villains with like chainsaw fingers or you know just random stuff like that and it was like you wish too quickly you're very basic whereas this the child is like you are invulnerable you're basically immortal because you're a superhero yeah he got he basically got one mech arm superman yes and the reason that the the reason that his his intent is so important is because he's trying to save a bunch of people and in the time that he's trying to save people the inevitability as we kind of see from the genie's perspective is at some point this chaos gets too much and someone uses their wish to just burn the world and that kind of gets to a point where i think where they stop cancelling each other out so it's kind of an apocalypse but there's still a planet there's still worlds what they say is once everybody's used their immediate wishes and we've had the age of heroes and they've kind of fought off all the monsters then we get the planners Mm. and the the thing with the planners is they we meet one of them in particular and we see a great montage of him coming to be. He's like a downtrodden nerd who was really into like local politics and stuff like that. And he wishes that everyone believed in him. Well, that's not even essay planning. So that's a whole thing, a whole thing that is like the, the proper villain. And he doesn't even, yeah. he's not even that present to be a proper villain, but he feels like it. I don't think he prepped. So there were preppers and there were people who were withholding wishes and stuff and made like, safe havens and well he built a safe haven yeah and there's like a dad who wishes that his three children can't use their wishes without his permission that comes into play much later (laughs) yeah and so that like there's all these people who are doing these other things and we'll get into that guy idea man a bit later yeah i have so much to say about so many different aspects of this like and i'm i'm trying to like keep like hold of things as we kind of go one area of the logic that i thought was great and again, with the world building as well, was the idea of, do I call them remnants? Or yeah, remnants. Rem- I, yeah, I think that's the word. But essentially, it's people who were wished back from the dead. So we get that explicitly with Ed's mum. And But, well, it's interesting because Ed's mum is brought back, June. Yeah. And we just kind of go, oh, she's brought back from the dead. That's cool. And then we meet proper remnants. So they were people who weren't specifically wished back, but they were wished back as part of a wish. And it was 
Hemingway was one of them. Yeah. And Hemingway turns up to the bar they're all holed up in and is just Hemingway. Mm. Obnoxious, angry, drunk old man. And it's fucking magnificent. It's mm. so good. But so that gets built into the world so well where there's there's a lot of people who are brought back from the dead. And it's that and the rules specifically of the person who wished them back, as long as they're alive, the remnant's alive. But if yeah. the person who wished them dies, then the remnant dies because that they have fulfilled the wish of being around the person who brought them back. And that comes into play so much as well that it's again just a fascinating bit of the world. I keep using yeah. the world I keep using the, the word world. And I don't know if it's gonna get too much or it's gonna sound like too much, but I really like my biggest takeaway from this whole thing was I was in love with the world of this of yeah, the story. It was so... And how it built it from a small corner of nothing to in- influencing the entire globe. And it was a world that I was I was sad to finish when I finished the comic. And like, like I said earlier, I, I want to see other aspects of it. But this is just one little thing. It feels like like a Game of Thrones thing. It's like, ooh, yeah. there's a bit of magic here and there's these specific rules for it. It's like, in this world, there are remnants and they these are the rules for them. I felt similarly finishing this to the way I felt finishing that Supergirl comic we talked about. Mm, which was about eight issues as well. Yeah, because that had quite a specific world and it was an epic journey through that world which i kind of felt like we got oh in spades yeah yeah we we they managed to fit an epic journey into eight issues without really giving us a lot of details about anybody's big journey i think the increasing time periods definitely helped it started off very personalized and once you kind of knew the characters and knew the goals and everything it could speed up and give you the big it moments after sweeping. yes and and i and i think that's really i suppose if you know, obviously I'm trying to describe this and so I'm going to, you know, compare and contrast with other bits of literature sometimes. That's why you're here for. Yeah. And so it kind of, I got the same feeling from it that I get from like the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Yep. yep. Where there's this really intense personal story happening, but because it's so big, it's also really sweeping. And the fact that it starts at the Shire and ends at the big battle for the world. Yeah. And it's like not many stories can do both that well. You know, you either get a huge sweeping story or you get a really gritty personal story with a high level of detail. Whereas by its nature here, we got a bit of both. And yeah. it was really, it never satiated me. Yeah. I never felt full from it. Like I, I could was, have just was, kept munching it. I read some last night and I was going to finish the last few today. And I was so close to like when I should have gone to sleep by being yeah. like, I could just finish it now. Like, I could just get them through now. And that's the, the sign of a great story, is I wanted to keep reading. I mean, the fact that you showed up to record and I was an issue off and I was like, just sit down. Yeah, <laughs> you'll get it. Yeah, just sit down. I'm going to get there. Like, yeah. I'm going to read this. Were you saying about the art earlier? I was kind of saving this a little bit for once we were in the, the, the story a bit more. Go for it. So the story, if, if it wasn't obvious before, the story starts in this bar and it slowly seeps out from there. But because of the first wish of the bar being completely unaffected by anyone's wish, it becomes like a, a safe haven point, home base kind of thing for like the, these main characters. Um, but so the art style, you said like how fantastical and how bright the colors were and everything. Mm-hmm. I found the only time it went back to it was at the bar. Yeah. So whenever you went to the bar, it was heavy brown, dark green, gray, kind of like... And it To give that mm. sense of like normality still exists in this bar. And it was a grubby little dive bar. Yeah. Like, and then as soon as you get outside, it's, whoa, the colors. Like it's crazy and bright and weird. But then 
we don't find out about this, but it transpires at the end that the big bad caused the reckoning. Do they call it? I think they call it the scarring. Or the, scar- or the, the scouring. Scarring, the scouring. Yes. Which is basically where they clean everything up, wipe it, and a yeah. bunch of people die. And a fun thing happens there that also happens in Why the Last Man, where they sit down and they list all of the famous people that have died. Yep, yep. And that happens in at the memorial to the men. Yorick sits down with one of the hippie chicks. Mm. Hippie chicks. That's awful. Fucking hell. I mean, she was. She was a what hippie is chick. it? Nineteen sixty chicks. Come on, that's disgusting. Hippie chick. I think it's its own like yeah. nomenclature. She's like a hippie it. chick. Yeah. Um, yeah, Yorick sits down with a hippie chick and they list all the male rock stars that have gone. And they do the same thing here. Mm. But they have a fun story for how all these famous people died. And that's really charming. And again, quite grounding. Well, I say most of them were during the scouring. But, but then- it's it's what they got up to before the scouring. Yeah. Um, what I really loved as well, and again, this this almost felt like it didn't need to be in there, but I'm glad it was, is the function of the genies beyond the wish granting. So They were like companions, weren't they? They're companions as well. They... I don't think they've got as much of their own individual personalities. They kind of reflect the person a bit. Yeah. So they're not, it's not kind of like, you don't remember anyone's individual genie, but the genies Mm. generally, they kind of reminded me a bit of Mr. Meeseeks from Rick and Morty. They're all the same, but they've got a personality they all share. They still are individuals, but they're all kind of the same, but it's still interesting what they collectively are like. Yeah. But um, there seems to be kind of, if you bond with your genie and use them you almost get extra powers by just talking with the genie because they'll tell you things they'll give you information the only information they won't give you and i thought this was very clever as well is they say the one thing we can't say is we can't tell you why we've appeared and yeah. are giving everyone wishes well, you can wish for it <laughs> but you can wish for it and i think that was a very important note that no one wanted to use their wish for that yeah so that was very kind of like you could find out the answers but you're not gonna, because you would burn your one token. Unfortunately, the wishes kind of reminded me of a Pokemon. The genies, do you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, from Gen 7, Marshadow. Like, how similar that looks. Yeah, that's definitely, it's very, very close, yeah. I see I see where you get the uh, the resemblance. Yeah. Um, the colour's a bit polygon as well, isn't it? Or poly... Porygon. Porygon, yeah. Do you know what? There's, there's a holographic polygon right behind you. Um, I assume any... Pokemon card, it's probably in this room with me right now. Yeah, I, I just assume so much. <laughs> so, starting with the bar story, the, a character who I had a lot to say about, and I kind of now have to put it in two halves, is the barman. Yeah, well, we find out quite early on what the barman's deal is, don't we? Not properly. Issue not three or four? Four, I think. And even then, it's left, it's just like one kind of statement and then left yeah. to explain later. But the reason I want to separate it is I had much different thoughts and opinions on the character before and after that point so before he makes the very first wish he says the bar is unaffected by wishes it's a safe haven and immediately reading that i go that's an oddly specific wish to make straight away like it's weird that he had that ready to go and the fact that it was called the lamp the lamp wick i was like he's involved well there's (laughs) we get into that a bit more but so and that gives away a little bit yeah this is it a a story about genies started a bar called the lamp yes. and i was like the lamp that guy wick. yeah that yeah. guy's got something to do with this yeah like he knows but then things like that can sometimes also just be funny easter eggs as well yeah so but um the him saying that so quickly i thought that's odd that you've said that but then 
the reveal, the first reveal that he's a prepper, like a doomsday prepper, yeah. that immediately made me go, oh, that explains it all. Because this this has been on the forefront of his thought. And the way he describes why he's a prepper, and then that that verbiage gets used later, but he describes it as, I noted it down as being very specifically vague. So it's like... He's, the people are like, what were you prepping for? And he goes, haven't you read a newspaper? The world's going to shit. Like, yeah. people are rubbing up against each other the wrong way. There's a lot of friction between people. Like, something was going to happen eventually. Mm. So when you say something like that, you can say that to people of across the political spectrum, to the yeah. extremes, and they'll all agree. It's only yeah. when you get into the, who, yeah, but who's causing <laughs> it? That's when it becomes yeah. the, the difference. It's the who, not the what. So I thought it was very clever to give him that vague, like, I'm just prepping because everything's shit kind of attitude but the fact that the bar was the place he was prepping for that yeah. made me go oh not only was he prepping for like a safe haven but he was like this bar is my my yeah. my last stand yeah. so i'm gonna immediately wish for it to be like you know protected from everything so and there's a little joke about it because they ask for a um a power block don't they and he's like oh i've yeah. got a little bit of everything downstairs yeah, i've got a few things yeah <laughs> so i had a little bit of like a oh that's a bit convenient how he said that and then we went oh, okay that explains it all and then we get more things later which we'll we'll get into uh then uh there's some little points in the panels that i made notes of that i then realized these are unimportant but they seemed important at the time one is there's a there's a kid who wishes to become a footballer yeah and the way the art does it he grow he's the footballer but they try to do like a shrinking thing yeah or like where he's grown taller but they they didn't do that part very well so it just this is the one criticism of the art it looked like he was on his own shirt didn't it? yes exactly <laughs> so the footballer's just got a random kid on his shirt it like, took me a minute to clock what that was if i'm honest with you yeah there's one guy who wished for two alien girlfriends i know like, i mean that area 51 thing that was a, that yeah. was, a lot of people have that and there was a point later where um ed son son man mm. um was killing a bunch of uh gaiju mm. and he was like oh but he doesn't know if they're pe- if they're gaiju they're remnants that got wished into existence or if they're people that wanted to become gaiju yeah so he didn't know whether to kill them or not and i thought that was quite interesting yeah again just every page had like a little like oh you've thought about every aspect of this yeah it it does it feels like something that was in the works for a long time this wasn't knocked out no you know not like, not like some other comics we may have read. <laughs> not like another of the ones that I know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there was, um, I thought was a good little, again, showing thought was there's a panel where a teenage girl had used her wish immediately mid-argument with her parents and wished they'd burn in hell. And they were just like smoking heaps afterwards. And I thought there was definitely a lot of moments for people of that. And that kind of reminded me of like, you know, um, Infinity War Endgame, where half, have you seen yeah, this? Yeah, yeah, where yeah. the world gets snapped, how many people were in like positions where, because someone else got snapped, that's fucked over someone else. Like the pilot in a plane that you happen yeah. to be on. Like how many um, couples were in, how many couples were in like mid-argument and like said some awful shit to each other and then one of them got dusted. And yeah. you're like, oh great, I have to live with this now. Like that's <laughs> that kind of feeling as well. Um, I did think uh, there was an opening to each issue where it shows the world. And I was like, how literally are we taking this world? Because at one point it was a cube. Yeah. And another point it was an ice cream. And I was like, should we be worried about this? Or is this like more of a metaphor? Like things are generally crazy. Yeah. Um, but those, the reason I bring those up is it shows you the human population and the genie population. Mm. 
and that's a i thought was a great device to show you one a lot of people are dying over this time but also how many people are using their wishes so the fact that you saw a significant amount of genies was still there like more than half that told you oh not everyone's just used them instantly it leveled off didn't it yep and it showed it was a good tracker for like the entire series because it would do one every issue and then this idea of being wish blocked came into it in a really meaningful way i thought that was a great little expert do you want to explain that because i thought that was a great little thing so once you've had your wish for a certain amount of time when you would think about a wish you could make you would then also think about all the wishes that you couldn't make and you'd be aiming for the perfect wish and so it transpired that actually there was the characters that had had their wishes for a long time that didn't really have a defined idea for how they were going to use them got a bit wish blocked and there was a couple situations where particularly the two musicians um i can't uh i can't remember their names but the two guys the two guys the two guys in the band there were a couple of situations where they hadn't used their wishes and they could have used them to save people and other characters started thinking they were these awful callous selfish people because they weren't wishing other characters out of bad situations but it turned out that they just were wish blocked they were too scared that they would wish for something in the moment and it would go wrong and they'd get monkey poured or that they 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 were just paralyzed with this the the potential the, uh, the the kind of unused potential of their wish and i must admit their wish was fucking awesome there's a there's a thing that's described in the way where it says um in in the real world uh the the prison of choice i think yeah. i might be adding that but it's the idea that if a human has too many choices you can be paralyzed by again not picking being scared of picking the wrong choice and then you would you just end up not making a choice i've had this with money mm where I've been saving money and not really knowing what I'm saving it for, and then I'm rendered unable to spend it. Mm. And we're not talking about like, you know, the saving the the savings in my savings account, like oh, I'm, you know, saving for a rainy day. It's like you're just accruing a bit of cash for some reason. And you kind of keep saving it and you sell a few things on marketplace and you buy something and you flip it and you've got this little pot of cash and you're like, I don't know what to spend it on. Yeah. Because it that money could be a million different things right now. If I spend it, it becomes one thing, right? Yeah. And so I understand that aspect of human nature, and I can see if that couple hundred quid in 20s was a fucking wish. I would be like, mm. I would be the person who'd be like, I don't know what to wish for. Yeah. Like, it's infinite. I was going to save this question for near the end, but I thought, I think it's a good one to ask. Where do you think... So two questions, right? Which I think we'll ask each other. One... If you had a wish, what would you wish for? And two, separately, if you had a wish in this world, so what do you think you'd use it immediately? And would you go for the thing, that first answer? Or would you hold on? Do you think you would be the person to hold on to it? Knowing who I am and my relationship with money, I would hold on to it. Yeah, same. And I think the reason for that, for me, I know this about myself, is whenever I play a video game, and there's like items. Yeah. I always finish it with like a large amount of yeah. what would have been helpful items. Cause in my mind, I'm always going, well, what if I need this later? So I'm always like, what if I, I need it for the next room? And then I make the game harder for myself. And I think yeah. that's like an allegory in itself. It's like you could have made the game easier for yourself and you would have been fine, but you made it harder for yourself by being indecisive about when to use yeah. things. And 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 I feel like I, I have that in my own life with resources that I have and stuff like mm. that. And I think it's better to be that than impulsive. Yeah, I have two sets of guitar strings sat there that could have been on one of my guitars recently, but I'm like, well, no, because they'll go on the right one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, of course. And I think as well that 
um the holding on to wishes definitely becomes like a big plot point for the world as well like who has wishes and who doesn't becomes like a thing as you go on particularly as people start hoarding them and collecting them yeah and i think it's never made explicit how wishes are transferred i think that there there is so the genies can do a lot right beyond granting a wish they can do a lot for you and a lot of that also comes into the admin of the wishes so i think what happens is and you see a i think maybe once or twice someone can say um someone else can make my wish so they haven't Uh... made a wish but they've said the wish that's holding for me i give blanket um carte blanche yeah i give complete uh consent for this other person to use it so then the genie getting that go well i might as well now hang around the person who has i've been ordered to take the wish from so it's never that it becomes their wish but they have been gifted it in a sense and i think on i mean sincerely if i just had a wish and it just kind of worked in any random way i think i would wish at some point honestly in this world i think i'd take the genie over the wish i mean i i would hold on to it for a rainy day kind of well, mentality the thing with the the thing with the wishes in this universe is that you get one wish unless you're very very clever and very careful you can't always guarantee that your wish won't be counteracted or cancelled out or that you won't get monkey poured but when you have the genie you kind of have access to this amazing resource that they the genie is and so the characters that did the best out of the story and survived the longest spent a long time with their genie learning from their genies and they would chat with their genies and you know the the genies became this like well do you know what's going on with this person that i can't reach because you know we're in a post-apocalypse and they're like oh yeah they're doing this thing that's really cool and early on they get used as translators so between the chinese characters and the english-speaking characters they're like tell tell them this and then the the genie would just translate because they have all the information and so yeah there's a power to just having a genie um I suppose we have to get into the later stages now. So there's been the scouring. I'll tell you who I want to talk about first, and I think you'll agree, is uh, uh, I, the idea man. Well, right? yeah, so we really meet him properly post-scouring, don't we? Yeah. Yeah, the ideas man, I think, is one of my favourite antagonists of, a, of, an, of a, anything. And yeah. the reason is it's not because he's especially like a powerful or... Um, insane villain or they does much but i think the explanation for why he is what he is and how he became powerful i think i i love that aspect of his story yeah so he he wishes that people believe in him and i think that's a really interesting wish and what's really cool is that june who's a remnant sees through him Mm. and so everybody else is kind of drinking his kool-aid including her husband and her son and for years, literally, we, we it, we're in the first eight years. We're in the eight years issue when this happens. She sat with her husband being like, you realize he's exploiting our son, right? Like, you realize he's turning our son into a cold-blooded fucking killer. Mm. Um, and the kid's about 15, 16 years old at this point, And he is just, like, brutalizing people from the other factions, the other havens. Yeah, and I what especially I liked was his backstory, because you got into a bit earlier, but it's how he was a kind of downtrodden guy who no one really gave a shit about and that's why he made that wish immediately it was a good wish though it it was and it was but i think it was it was kind of lucky on him that that he was the person who wanted this kind of thing but so i think it really portrayed that 
that trope of a villain who is downtrodden in their life and normally those kind of characters become very virtuous because they're like oh i've been down in the dump so i know what it's like and i want to help people you there's a kind of more modern version of a villain who not not even more actually no i'm going to take that back because there's a lot of villains like in old literature who are like scarred and disfigured and you know who are evil anyway mm. so it's not a, it's not a new thing but i like the representation of like just because someone is downtrodden doesn't make them automatically good like it's, <laughs> it's not sweeping and it makes the ones who then are downtrodden in their life and good better because yeah. they held on to that virtue despite their circumstances but someone like him was always just like not even that bad a life just people mm. didn't really give a shit about him or what yeah. he had to say so when he wished people believe in him i felt like that was more insidious than if he was like an evil character who was like i wish i could make people believe whatever i say yeah. or like that people would i could lie people would believe my lies or something like that so what you'd have then is you'd have people being like he says something and i go just magically like oh i believe you this became a little more insidious because if he was exposed or anyone kind of pointing out his lies like the remnants do the people go all right yeah i do see his line but i believe in him that he yeah. has our best intentions and i've i still feel like we should support him mm -hmm. and that kind of vagueness yeah made him more successful at what he did and i think we don't i don't know if we see it or not but i think he generally said to people like hey you should give me your wish and they went well i believe in you so yeah yeah there you go and he had just an army of wishes um it also made a lot more insidious the lawyers who collected wishes as well oh well the, this is the thing and i think this is um possibly a comment on ai <laughs> you always bring it back to ai well one of the things that's going to become really potent in the ai generation is people who are good at writing prompts for ai, AI right the lawyers became really important because they're very good at wording things and closing up loopholes yeah for wish so, granting specifically exactly yeah and so the lawyers became even more powerful and they and there was there was a there was a negotiation between the ideas man and a bunch of lawyers he'd been using to draft his wishes, and they were saying, "Well, this is why from the start we've only taken payment in wishes. Yep. <laughs> like if you want us to draft a wish for you, you have to have quite a few of them already because we want them." And they they had those skills to immediately be like, "We know exactly what to do yeah. with this scenario," and became very powerful. Yeah, it kind of reminded me of the, is it the the bank in game of thrones the iron bank the iron bank so yeah. they're not particularly powerful in the sense that so they have their own kind of haven but it's, they says the population are like 25 people so it's not like a haven that everyone goes to well, it's they're the iron like, bank of bravos yeah. so they're in bravos which is a very big and powerful city state right but the thing with the iron bank is they don't hold power directly yeah but they have a lot of influence over really powerful people so for instance um, one of the thing, one of the places that Tywin Lannister starts to come a bit unstuck is that actually the Lannister gold miners run dry during mm. the events of um, Song of Ice and Fire, and he's really reliant on the Iron Bank. And so once he dies, the Iron Bank come back to renegotiate with Cersei, and she's like, "So same deal?" And they're like, "No, you owe us a lot of money, and you are not Tywin Lannister." Yeah, and then it's that, isn't it? It's they then they don't have direct power, but they have a lot of influence, which in itself can look like power. Yeah. And I think, again, like they didn't have like a very powerful haven because it gets to the point after the scouring that these safe havens become warring factions almost. It starts to feel a little bit um, 
Walking Dead. Yeah, yeah, I see that. Uh, like uh, across a wasteland, these like isolated areas of safety. Yeah, and b- the reason I compared this, the the lawyers to the Iron Bank is that their haven wasn't particularly powerful. But as soon as you start to threaten to wrong them, like by the way, we have about a hundred wishes on, re- like ready to go. So we yeah. have a lot of wishes. Yeah, yeah. There's also a really smart bit where the idea man. His genies, or the genies that kind of work for him, just don't like him. So one point when one like gets automatically grinded, it's like they flip him off. Yeah, like, fuck <laughs> you. I'm off. But what's really smart is he sets up some wishes to be to automatically go off in the event of something. So specifically, because a genie disappeared, he knew that was almost like a a detection. Somebody's system. under attack. We're Some, under attack. They're attacking us. This wish has just automatically defended us. I now need to proactively so he was very i guess in that way he was definitely the prepper the reason i didn't want to give him the prepper thing before was that he didn't prep with his original wish but he became a prepper once he amassed wishes yeah and he probably got advice from someone there's like someone who believed in him was like hey i've got an idea maybe you should do this he was like good idea it's like that was my idea now um but yeah great villain i Mm. think just like a good plot point again of like desire like the undercurring theme um and how he wanted to just be the most important but person. But again, because his desires weren't great, he had to be really specific. And they even said, there was a plot point where they said, oh, well, you know, these big wishes are going off. You said this doesn't happen. And they're like, no, some people get really good at wording their wishes. Yeah. Like when when he he was doing the wish to make the replenishment, to rebuild the earth after he'd scoured it clean. And he said he was talking for 30 minutes straight and he was like, if I put a pause in here or it shouldn't be, I'm going to get monkey pawed. So he knew that he was going and he'd pulled a genie up and been like, right, you're going to take this down. And 30 minutes later, he's still reading this lawyer written verbiage to get this wish off. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, I mean, we talk about this as a fantasy setting. If that happened, if this happened, there would be people doing that. Yeah, 100%. And that's, again, why I keep coming back to the term world building and loving the world is that these logical conclusions have created the world that we are seeing now and the people who occupy and also the genies being like oh we're at this age now because people would naturally make these kind of wishes Mm. um i think there's a lot that we genuinely don't have time to get into and Mm. i think that's not only a credit to the comic but i also think the benefit is if anyone is listening to this if they've still made it to this part and thought i still can't quite be asked to pick up i'll hear what they say about it I think you could finish this episode and everything we say, and you'll still get a lot of stuff from that we don't even get a chance to touch on. Yeah. That, in just eight issues. Like, that's incredibly economic for storytelling. So, right. I mean, eight issues is, what, about 100 pages? I'd say about, not including the riffraff, so about 20 pages an issue, give or take. Yeah. So uh, about 160 pages. 160 pages is a novella it's a short novel mm. um i think the the visual storytelling does a lot of the heavy lifting yeah, yeah, yeah and i think this is one of those stories that needed to be a comic yeah this would be this would be a huge novel this would be a eight or nine hundred page goliath of a novel yep and i think it's also going to be one of those like what they refer to a lot of unfilmable sh- stories so like you couldn't make it live action and I think you could technically, but I think with all the fantastical stuff, it would be one of the most, just on CGI alone, one of the most expensive shows ever made for mm. it to for it to not look janky and shitty in the CGI. Do you know what I mean? So It would need to be an animated film. 
an animated film of this, I think, would be amazing. If if yeah. you got the right art style and put if, the effort in. If you found a bunch of electric uh, former um electric light and magic, mm. you know what I mean, don't you? Electric works or something, is it or light works? Light- I might be thinking of something else. Electric light and magic, I'm thinking of the former um Lucasfilm guys. You got a bunch of the, that kind of stable of animators, like Pixari, Electric Light and Magic animators on this. Basically, you scooped up a bunch of people who didn't work at Pixar or for Lucasfilms anymore and got them to do it. Mm. It could be one of the most. Oh, I yeah no, I mean it would be it would be one of the biggest films in the year it came out. Yeah, I think this would be like a a cinema release style film and the and not only looking amazing but the story would absolutely like get people in as well i would be super surprised it, if a studio didn't scoop up an option this yeah the story how good the story is in the world building and i've only just thought of this it kind of reminds me a bit of uh puss in boots the last wish mm-hmm. and not only and it's kicking me i'm kicking myself that i'm only just thinking of like the wish connection now yeah. but also that does a very big story building with magic thing yeah where it starts off quite quaint and then it builds and builds and builds and you have these characters characters related to the magic and their use of it being mm. character development i think if a film like well person moves last wish um financially did not do well critically acclaimed did but, it not do well? Because there was two Puss and Boots before films before then that weren't very good. So when a third one came out, people uh, were like, "Why would I? Why would I go and see this extra one?" And then um, it just turned out to be amazing. I think yeah. it got a bit of a bump from word of mouth, but yeah. still, I think a lot of people were like, "We'll wait." But also, kids' films do a pretty well anyway because a lot of people just go to they take their kids to films yeah, without yeah. worrying anyway. Um, so yeah, there's only a couple of areas I think we should get into now before the end and that's the ending well i've not say, even talked about the ending i don't know so here's the thing i don't know if we should or not i don't know that we need to that's what the I ending's mean. great and the ending's really interesting and really cool and that last issue is probably my favorite issue of the yeah. issue run but yeah i think honestly i think we could actually do this as a kind of an episode where we don't spoil the ending because we've touched on all the grand, the wider themes anyway. Yes, exactly. And it has not been a funny episode, Ryan. Because we've just gotten deep into it. Like I tell you what, the ones where you rip into something are definitely more entertaining. Yeah. I think this is more like informative. Like, look yeah. how good this how well, this was all amazing. Yeah. Um, one of the reveals that I think did impact me midway was the reveal that the barman is actually a genie. Yeah, so he was the genie who granted the last wish in the last go-round, and that person gets to be a human, an immortal human on Earth who can't die, who lives until the next round of wishes are all done, basically. Um, And he was a cool character, man. He was great. Yeah, and I think when he first came out with that really concise wish at the start, yeah. I thought, oh, he's something to do with this. But then when the prepper stuff was revealed, I went, oh, he that explains it all. It, so that threw me off. The I scent. never, it, no, I, the whole way through, I was like waiting. I uh, see, I, I got it at the start and then I kind of went off it with the prepper stuff. And to be fair, I, I think I liked the prepper stuff a bit more. I liked a human having that, a prepper would be like yeah. that. And I liked that aspect. So when he was revealed to be a genie, I was like, oh, okay, we're back on this then. I mean, he kind of was a prepper that had been prepping for eight centuries. Yeah, exactly. Um, there was a moment where he said something, and I just thought it was so beautiful that I'm going to repeat it. 
So he talked about the last issue really is just a rundown of how he spent his eight centuries. Um, and he talked about all the things he did. And one of the things he did was just learn a bunch of skills. And he said, and, I, and I quite, I'm quoting verbatim because I've, I've screenshotted it. But I'll tell you this, the acquisition of skills is one of the most satisfying parts of being alive. It's a wish granted in slow motion. That is a sexy line. That is so beautiful that we cannot banter off it at all, which is the the, the highest acclaim you can give a piece of writing. It made me feel some shit, you know? Like that last, that last issue where he talks about the way he spent his eight centuries and the lessons he learned was so impactful for me. It was really impactful. I found it really, really impactful. Just, you know, this sense that he'd lived a long time and these are the lessons he learned. Yeah. And I agree with all of them. And I think, you know, I feel feel like that's one of those things that unless this was written by somebody who was much older, they must have sat down with somebody who was much older and been like, what is the benefit of your having been around the sun more times than me? Yeah, of course. You know? Um, his reveal also gets into the cause of everything, which I don't... Yeah. Th- I, I think by ending, ending, we're talking about how everything resolves. But towards the end, the reveal is why the genies appeared in the first place. And I thought that was quite clever. So basically, they are a kind of cosmic guardrail for a conscious species getting too... Uh, proliferating itself yeah. too much too widespread too big too demanding too greedy yeah so at the eight million or oh, eight billion yeah. population number that's like that triggers the genies and the point is that it resets the world and it it is also meant to show everyone or at least the survivors and ideally the last person but that's later but it gets into the the cost of desire or cost of satisfying desire. Because what you find, what you find, and the whole point of this, uh, from the genie's perspective, is that there's only actually one wish that ultimately matters, and it's the last one. Yes, and the last wish is beautiful. Yeah, and that logically makes sense. Like the last wish yeah. is going to be the the be all end all. Um, um, I think the thing that's interesting about the later issues for me. Um, getting get you know getting an insight into how it all works is nice and it's interesting and I thought it was cool, but it's the same thing that I really like about a lot of post-apocalyptic fiction, and it's not the bit where it shows you what happens directly after, and it's not the bit where you see how people have learned to survive. It's when you watch the generation that were born into or grew up in the the apocalypse. I always find their stories more interesting. So in The Walking Dead, when we see the settlement and Carl and the knights and all that stuff, that Mm. to me is more interesting than watching the initial fallout. Yeah. And then again, like watching fucking Zombieland. Yeah. Zombieland 2 was really cool because we got to see the young people make their little hippie settlement. And we got to see some of that with the um, haven where the parents had control over their kids' wishes. Yep, yep. And just watching the way that that changed the relationship between the parents and the children was really interesting. Mm. And And we've barely touched on it. The rebelliousness, inherent rebelliousness, and parents trying to control their children, but with the best intentions for their safety um, and well-being. So yeah, I think there's so many, this whole wish concept 
gets used for so many aspects of just human behavior yeah. and human existence. Again, why why I think we both are saying this is probably going to be one of our favorites, if not the favorite of the year or that we ever do. It is my favorite thing that I have read for the podcast. Yes. Um, I, I'm... I've I've all, I loved Mouse for a long time, and um, obviously a lot of the Alan Moore stuff that we've talked, we've talked about. Um, but this is my favorite. I think this is my favorite thing that I read for the express purpose of talking to you about it. Yeah, like um, yeah, it's so there's there's this beautiful level of depth that you don't get bogged down in. Like the, these revelations aren't played too heavily. And so you're finding stuff out about the wider story, but you're finding out about it in situ and it's paced really well. Yeah. I think one thing I want to say without giving away or spoiling it is the character development of uh, one of the characters, uh, Daisy, her character development. And again, I, at this point, if you're listening to this, if you haven't read it, if you've read it, you know what I'm talking about. And if you haven't read it, you just go should read it. We talked about Daisy right at the start. Daisy's yeah. the Daisy's the woman who burnt her wish trying to make somebody love her. Yes. Her development and change, kind of acting a bit like a person without any powers in a superpowered yeah, world. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was really cool because that she felt like she felt like the the normal person's view because she was a, just a person without a wish almost and daisy also got two wishes <laughs> yes and it that's i think that a really good way of coming around i think we'll we'll leave as to how she does it but i thought that was a great like oh, coming yeah. back around circular kind of thing. strongest character throughout um had an, had an amazing arc their story was my favorite one of the threads yes the band doing their thing just wanting to make music man like for the rock and roll you know yeah I think, yeah, overall, just an amazing comic and also a great bonus as I was reading it was I was reading. I thought Jamie's going to love this. And then it got to a point when and secretly it's actually a superhero comic. It got to where I was like, this is basically a superhero comic. I was like, Fuck I felt me. like I Trojan horse you into <laughs> if I had known beforehand, it would have been like, he doesn't know yet. But it's about to get superheroed. <laughs> I just imagine you being like, this is awesome. And then going, oh, for fuck's sake. There was a moment where I was like, when 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 that band of heroes turned up and it all got a bit Avengers-y for like two panels, I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah. oh is this what the rest of it's... But I, I, I knew that that wasn't going to be the whole comic. I knew that that was just an aspect of it that we were going to see for a little bit and not again. Yeah, that was, uh, if it had just turned, imagine if it had just turned into a generic superhero story from that point on. I would have thrown up on you. Because <laughs> of the, the amazing dip in quality yeah, from like, the start to like... yeah. What? I would have been so hurt. It just doesn't go back to any of the other great characters. It's just like, no, nope, superhero story now. Yeah, absolutely. I'd have it, been pissed. He's a villain. He has the same powers as the hero. Like, how will they get on? <laughs> Probably not well. So, for the regular listener of Comic Literary Podcast, you'll know that I'm not a big fan of superhero comics. It, it gets brought up regularly. Next week, we are talking about The Flash. In so what I'm going to do is I'm going to end this episode in a really cheery way. Because the next time you hear me, dear listener, I'm going to be miserable. <laughs> and for anyone who cares, we are specifically specifically going to be doing the flashpoint story Which is the same as all the other fucking ugh. well it's a bit different but we'll get into it uh, i'm sure we'll dig deep into it for oh, thank you for listening a good two hours ugh. <laughs> i'm ryan first three hour podcast <laughs>
So thanks for listening. If you want to send us hate mail or you want to tell me why superhero comics are wonderful, you can reach us at comicliterate at gmail.com. Uh, we are on YouTube as Comic Literate. Go look at the shorts. They're fun. Um, TikTok as well, but I'm, I, I, def- I, I, I get around to it when I get around to it. It's mainly YouTube shorts. Yeah, um, but Ryan is going to do stuff on YouTube one day. I'll mention it again when he actually does it. Thank and you so much for listening. Reviews. Pardon? Reviews. Give oh us- yeah, review us. Um, there's places if you just review us wherever, whatever app you have open, preferably as positively as possible. You can say you can call us names. You could say whatever you want as long five as five stars, five stars, and you can call us assholes or whatever. If you just want to do a review and you want me to see that you've just done a review for the sake of doing it for us, make it a five star review and then make the text five star cunts. Yeah, sure. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>